Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Who's Your Band podcast. Whew. Buckle up, everybody. We got a great one for you today from Fox News Radio's Fox Across America with uh, Jimmy Fallia. We have the very funny, very interesting Jimmy Fallia and from Compound Media. He played a cop on every uh, CBS series. Mr. Terry McNeely, and of course, I'm joined by my baby faced, my baby faced, very handsome. Look at him today. Put oh, Adam, get, 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 let's get a close up of, of Sean. Listen, how many times oh, do I have to explain look this? At to that, you? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. He's, he's six. <laughs> I am. I am the brains. I am the voice. <laughs> I am the face. I am the humor. I am the knowledge of this show. You, that, that all that is true. I can't deny yes. any of that. Okay, you can't. I'm very because obviously, number one, you have a mirror. Number I two, do. you've heard yourself. I have. Okay. Jeff has a better radio voice, though. Jeff you know has a better radio voice. I, I think Jimmy may voice. Jimmy may combat that because did you did you ever hear of comics watching comics? You know, Kevin Goatee, we had him on last week. Yes. Yes. Jimmy was was um, a panelist on that when Kevin asked me to do it. It was the first year he did it. He needed comics to do it. I said I'd do it. I was 50th out of 50 who went up that day. And so Jimmy uh, watches it and says, this guy will never play anything more than either a cop or a mobster. And that always, that always stuck with me. And here he is. Hello, James. How are you? Hey, girl. Uh, good <laughs> to see everybody. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Uh, man, we're excited to have both of you guys. We're going to start with Jimmy, okay? And we're, we're going to we're going to ease into this, and then we know where this is going to wind up going. So, oh, Jimmy, how would you describe your comedy? Very cancelable, very <laughs> <laughs> on the brink of extinction at all times. Um, I grew up in a. I'm I'm 42. Uh, I grew up and started in a much tougher comedy scene. What I mean by that is like comics were very mean to each other, abusive over each other's acts, and it made you a better comic. Uh, you know, you had like little tougher skin, and I kind of come from a tough love point of view on stage. I'm not trying to be like a a shock comic uh, or anything like that. But I do kind of think the world has become a little bit of a joke. Like when I was, when I started out, um, Mike Birbiglia was the most hated man in New York comedy. He still is. But what I'm saying is like when I started out at, at the Boston Comedy Club, Patrice O'Neill and Todd Lynn used to literally heckle Mike Birbiglia's sets to the point that he couldn't get a joke out because that's just how the, the scene was. And they were so awful to each other. I remember the first time I got paid uh, at the Boston Comedy Club. I remember the late, great Vic Henley. Uh, he looked at me as I was signing out and he goes, you're going to take the money for that? And <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And like, because I was raised in that kind of, it's not mean girls. It's not that like we're doing it from a place of malice, but from a place of like, that's our societal, our worldview. Um, that's kind of the best way to describe my comedy. I'm not, not trying to be like mean guy. Uh, I'm just also not trying to be uh, empowering. I'm not here to make you feel better about yourself because that would, you know, I don't feel better about myself. So why should you get that? You know, did you ever have a set that was so bad that you actually gave the money back? <laughs> Where like was that, uh, college gigs. You're talking about like, have you ever done a nooner at a college? Yes. Yes. You take the money like in Boogie Nights when Don Cheadle is at the donut shop and the cashier gets <laughs> shot in the head and dies. 
And then he looks around and like shamefully takes the money out of the register. That's every nooner a comedian has ever done at a college. Yeah, I actually, like I had one one time. It was like a fundraiser, and like we were all, you know, they gave us like half the pot, and the pot went to charity. And my set was so bad. I was closing the show, and like maybe seventy five seconds in, I realized that this forty five minutes was going to be the longest seven hours of my life. <laughs> and as soon as I got off stage, she handed me the envelope. I was like, you know what? It's on me tonight. And she goes, <laughs> No. Oh yeah, I totally did. It was just atrocious, absolutely atrocious. No, stop. Why do you have to come on here and act like you have integrity? You're hanging out with us. Do you remember the first time you went on stage? Me? Yes. First time I went on stage is the greatest thing. Uh, The New York Comedy Club used to have a a, a room, a separate comedy room. That that side room. A legit, I know, but they had a legit fire escape, the side room, where you were on stage. There was no one in front of you, but there were like 20 people seated to your left or your right. Um, I went on on an open mic Thursday. Tom Nemec was the MC. The girl who went on before me uh, read a poem that she was dedicating to her dead grandmother and then punctuated it by placing a rose on the stool for her grandma, whose name was Rose. And then Tom Nemec brought me up Uh, at the time. This is 2001. I had like 30 jokes about my girlfriend so fat because I had just (laughs) took a writing course with the, the great Larry Amaros. And I was so excited to get up there and do like Rodney Dangerfield, like Rodney D. Zingers. But the, and the whole room was crying. Uh, and I don't mean like tears of joy. I mean, the girl did like an effective no more grandma monologue. And then I came charging in and I did spoken word, dude. Just what you described, that set you didn't want to get paid for. Um, spoken word, coast to coast. Like when I was done, like Hamas called the club and claimed responsibility. It was bad. It was, it was a real bombing. Yes. How about you, Terry? First time you were on stage. What? First time I was on stage was the governor's comedy college thing where I took a class with Carrie Caravis. I go up there, it's like six of us new zeros. And then they had uh, Joe Starr do a 10 minute set and Keith Anthony. And Keith Anthony went up and ripped me up because he didn't know who I was, yeah. but I was in the green room chain smoking as usual. And he went up there, he goes, there's a guy back there with uh, orange fingers. Like he looks like he's been eating fucking Doritos. That's and Keith he just, Anthony. He ruined me. That's a good Keith Anthony. Mm. All you need now is like a hula hands apron. That's a good impression. <laughs> uh, I mean, you I also like, drove a cab for a while, right? Uh, yes. Um, and, and the way and the way my radio show is going, I'll be driving one again soon. No, it's uh, I drove a taxi in New York City full time, like five years. Um, yellow cab. I drove days, and everybody always says like, "Oh, the nights are the craziest," but they're actually not. Because here's the thing, man. Like during the the anyone can get into your cab screwed up at three in the morning, but it takes a real winner to get in there at 10 a.m., you know, drunk or pilled out or whatever the hell it was. And you do see more stuff as a day driver. I've driven both, but the days are crazier only because um, the beginning of the shift is like 5 a.m. So you get a lot of people on the tail end of a bender from like five to nine, and then it levels out and becomes business people. But yes, taxi, yellow cab, can still smell it. Jimmy, wasn't there something with a snake? Oh, Terry McNeely. Um, (laughs) What happened I had to a snake. I had a book. Uh, I wrote a book about driving a cab. Uh, follow that car. Uh, and if you like reading at a third grade level, you will love this book. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> my Nassau Community College authorship. Well, Jeff, <laughs> you're out. But uh, but we when the book was coming out uh, to promote it, like we didn't. The publisher knew nothing about this. But to promote it, we filmed a prank called Snakes in a Cab. 
where we had a 14 foot albino python riding shotgun with me in a cab. And when people would get in and, and, you know, tell us where they were going, I'd turn on the meter and we just let the snake go. And the snake would come crawling through the partition and we got a bunch of reaction shots and cut it together. We shot it with GoPros and it was completely psychotic. Like I lost my taxi license within like a day, <laughs> but I did, I really did 105 TV hits in like three days. Cause the way that was like the beginning of the world is obsessed with a story for 30 seconds and then they're not. And then they throw you in like a vault with like Chewbacca mom, you know, and like double rainbow guy <laughs> and all of those people who were like 48 hour relevant. I was, I got to be one of those, but it was, it was psychotic. Uh, and I'm not like a big snake guy, so it wasn't particularly fun to film, but it was, it's a sick prank if you ever, if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. So it's in the fun. early days you drove a cab and then at night you would do comedy. Yo, for real. So I would work 5am to 5pm uh, in a cab. Uh, and then I would do at the time I was like at the level of comedy prosperity where I was the one guy getting paid on the bringer show. Like I was either emceeing it or closing it. Uh, and uh, in between that, I, my buddy, uh, Dean Imperial, he writes for a show called uh, Imposters on Netflix. Like we thought we were going to be like screenwriters. So we used to every day at, from three to five, we used to meet at 3 a.m. at his apartment on 48th Street and work on a screenplay. We did that like every day for two years. So I'd work like three to five at his house, five to five in a cab. And then I would go do like a 7 p.m. bringer show at like comics and then come home and tell myself everything was going to work out and do it all over again. Like the level of sociopath it takes to goad yourself into showbiz. You know, when you think of all we know and all of the bad cases of this not working out for people, yet we still go do it. Like it says something about us. We are all part sociopath, no? Absolutely. Absolutely. So now you get on America's Got Talent. Oh, man. And you, uh, one of the judges, Mel B, winds up having an issue with you. What happened with that? Mel B, the Spice Girl. Um, yes. uh, it's a crazy story, but the way um, America's Got Talent works is by the time you audition for the judges, which in my case were Heidi Klum, Howie Mandel, Howard, and Mel B, by the time you audition for them, you've already auditioned three times. It starts off once in a room with a producer who takes you to another room no audience. Uh, and then you tape a video audition. And at that point, if you're castable, you get to audition, which my mine was at the Hammerstein ballroom. And it turned into a race riot. But I'll tell you why. Like Howard, uh, who is a hero in this instance, when you come on stage, Howard does like a little back and forth, get to know you type deal. And he told everybody in the crowd, I was a cab driver. So he had built me up uh, like more support in the room than I probably deserved. Cause they were like, this is a New Yorker. He's a cab driver, you know, hard scrabble story. And Howard had bought me like a ton of currency. And then, so what happened is you're only doing a minute and a half and 30 seconds in, like I'm murdering. But again, I don't deserve this. I'm getting a lot more than I deserve. But the third joke I'm telling of four begins with me saying black people are the best people to pick up in a cab. That's the setup. And Mel B immediately hit the buzzer. And they were booing so hard that I finished the bit under like a parade of boos. And it's like straight Roman Coliseum where there's 10,000 people in the crowd booing, which I assumed was for me. And when the booing ended, Howard stood up and he's like, Mel, you're a disgrace to comedy. This is the hardest thing to do on our show. Was he the being was real? having a good run. What's up? Was he being real? Yeah. He cursed out Mel B. So the crowd starts chanting. 
um, she said to me, now it's like straight Roman Coliseum. It's the judges and me are in a shouting match. And Mel said, oh, I just don't understand why you're going to bring race into this. And I just got lucky. And I go, I just, I, I feel like everyone here has passed race except you. And the crowd went crazy. And then Howie gave me this lecture and then they had to put it to a vote and the whole crowd was like chanting Vegas, Vegas. But it was, I was on stage. America's Got Talent auditions are usually a minute and a half to perform, two minute for judge reaction, one minute for Nick Cannon to speak some type of dopey whatever. And then you get off stage in like five. I was on stage for 27 minutes and it was on like, uh, it was on like everything the next day. What really happened is like there was a show, a, a, the, the talk on CBS um, the, the Regis show, they covered it and Stern did, covered did it. They, did they all support you? Uh, they, I got voted through to Vegas. No, no, I'm talking about the, the shows, like the talk. Did they take your side or did they take Mel B's side? Uh, mostly my side, but here was the thing. They couldn't play the clip because it was, it hadn't come out on TV yet. It hadn't right. aired, but Howard had Lisa Lampanelli on that morning. And that's how it became a story because Howard was asking Lisa about people getting offended at her shows. And she goes, oh, you know, some people can't take a joke like that C word Mel B who's on America's Got Talent, who hit the buzzer on my friend Jimmy Fallon last night. And Howard's <laughs> like, well, I can't talk about that. I got a contract. And Robin goes, what? And like, it became like a whole to do. So it was like a story. But what happened, like for real, I, I don't mean that I'm really hogging the ball here, but you get voted through to Vegas. But when I got to Vegas, they filmed us getting voted off the show before they filmed us performing. Meaning like I knew I wasn't going to be on the show anymore. Like, um, so at that point I like wrote a letter saying like, this is a scam. And like the New York post picked that up and I wound up being off the show. Uh, cause I was going to get canceled off the show anyway, but it was, yeah, it was great guys. Reality TV. Great. Love it. <laughs> Sorry. Now you wind up getting this show that we see behind you Fox across America with Jimmy failure. Okay. Yep. Um, were you always into politics? Were you always a political guy. I always followed it because like when you drive a cab, people get in and talk to you about world news and you usually try to keep up crack a joke. So nobody stabs you in the neck with a screwdriver because you made a left turn on 38th and you weren't supposed to. Um, but yeah, like my family, big law enforcement background, but they were very like politically conscious people, not like activists, but they would talk about stuff. So I've always kind of kept up with it. Yeah. yeah Jimmy, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Terry's actually the Suffolk County uh, chair of uh, Biden 2020. Is that true? Terry Smith? <laughs> Stop it. He couldn't pass the background check for Kanye's campaign. <laughs> true. But, but I would work on it. I would work on it with you. And, and, you know, Jim, you talk about um, a lot of things. And I think it was just yesterday, you wrote something kind of interesting that I thought. Uh, you wrote a piece about uh, kids needing to go back to school uh -huh. um, because you, you feel that, you know, you're not good at being a, a Spanish teacher? Aw, that's what I, I wrote in my op-ed about. <laughs> I'm homeschooling Lincoln Fela in Spanish, and he How asked me you? what date we celebrate Cinco de Mayo on. And, How old uh, is the kid? Yeah, he's 11. Uh, he's a good dude. He's watching a lot of South Park because I'm a good parent, you know. He does. He's He has, like, a, a very adult sense of humor. I bring him on the radio on Friday. He's actually a solid guest. Cool. Um Question for the for everybody here now. All right, um, let, let's talk a little bit about what's going on today. Is free thought and expression under attack in this country? Yeah, hey, uh, hey, I don't Jeff, mean, am I fat? Because I want to get to like how, <laughs> dude. Because, dude whoa, whoa, Jeff, you can get fired for asking that, you psycho. <laughs> yeah. What kind of what kind of ambush is this? <laughs> I to ambush you. We have to. I'm Terry, kidding, answer man. the answer the question, Terry. What? Free thought and expression under attack in this country, yes or no? 
yeah, if you don't think the way they, you, you, but they do, you're a racist. It's over. It's done. You're a racist. You're a misogynist. You're a xenophobe. They just shut you down immediately. The people that used to be in Berkeley, the, the home of free speech, now you, some uh, Shapiro or Coulter goes there, shut the whole place down. He makes a good point. Do you remember the yeah. stand-up comedy album, Carlin on Campus? Mm-hmm. He, he wouldn't have been allowed to perform. Right. Like exactly. Carlin on campus would have just been a couple of broken windows and picket signs. That would be the album now. Jimmy, Jimmy, I've said this like in every green room in the last two years. If Dice, Kinnison, Carlin, Bill Hicks, if they were open micers right now in Manhattan, they would, you would never know their names. They'd no. be like, this guy's a piece of shit. He's unbookable. Don't put him on the, the Andy Angle fucking showcase. And, 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 they'd, and they'd be done immediately. They'd be just go, they would just go back to school and be a non-comedian. So what's the comedy going to become? Hannah Gatsby? <laughs> it's going to become, you know, all the kids you see on, on Comedy Central. Like, you know. Safe. Safe. Yeah. Is that I actually gave that really Hannah Gatsby though? special. I mean, like, I gave that Hannah Gatsby special, like, an actual listen to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't laugh one time no you wouldn't that, no that did. it's that's, it's that's the last 12 specials i watched on netflix it's like yeah they're terrible you know, um burr and chappelle and a couple other ones are a passable and then everything else i'm like they, i'm not even gonna say it but some, i'm like this guy they're talking about this fucking guy yeah why yeah well right now because like netflix is very much it's about casting so they want, it's funny, but they don't, it's not so much that they want funny shows. They just want participants who reflect the audience. So that's what it is. So it's like, most of them aren't funny because that's really not the priority. And what's happening now too, is a lot of big name celebrities are putting out bad specials. Chris Rock's tambourine special is terrible. Um, and it's because he let Michelle Wolf write it. But he has one of them, um, because what happens like with these dudes is they'll give them so much money to shoot a special that they'll take it uh, with no time to build up and write it. You know what I'm saying? Like Chris Rock tambourine is what happens if someone signs you to, to do a special October 1st and you film it October 21st. Like you're not going to develop the material enough for it to be like a late 90s Chris Rock special where he had like Louie and Wanda writing his, his act, you know? It's a different animal now because they want it so fast. Um, and that partly is Louie's fault. You remember when Louie started putting out a special like every year? Yes. Yeah. Like, you're not good. supposed to because you need, the world needs time to evolve. And, you know, certain bits, like, you know, it's just the way a rock band or a comic's first hour are their best work. It's because they were working on that for nine years before you heard of them. The second album they've been working on for one with money and they're fat and happy and you don't have the same like primal thing to create, you know, the same urge to succeed. That's right. what I think. Now, you, you, you mentioned bands. Let's talk about bands for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, name of the show is Who's Your Band? And your band, uh, Jimmy, is The Doors, huh? Boom. Uh, in the spring. You see, if we tape this show in the fall, I might have given you a different answer. But I, uh, The Doors, I consider them to be a phenomenal summer band. Like, I start listening to them. Buddy Holly's like that, too. You can't listen to a Buddy Holly song until it's like 75 degrees. But I consider The Doors, L.A. Woman, a seminal summer album. And that's their last album, by the way. That's, you know, fat and happy 27-year-old, let's go die in the tub, Jim Morrison. Yeah, 1971. That's, yeah. You know, the thing is with the Doors is they had a a very short run. Everyone thinks they had this long, six albums in five years. That's, That's really basically the Doors. Yes. Uh, they, it's, it's a good example of like what most creatives are. Like you hit a peak moment of creativity 
And if you tap into it, you can churn out an unlimited amount of content, but you eventually like just age and drift out of that. Like to give you an example, creative sweet spots, think of like mid to late 70s, Steve Martin, when he's doing like his banjo specials and filming the jerk and stuff like that. Like you get into your prime and you can do three or four great things. Think of Chevy Chase, you know, and like the seminal, you know, comedies he was a part of, you know, he'd been around forever, but there's a very tight sweet spot where if you work during it, you can create an unlimited amount of content. What happens to a lot of people, of course, you get rich and you just don't care and you don't have that same, you're not as tapped into whatever your ethos is, but they were for like five years. Yeah, and what would you say is, you know, your go-to Doors album, where do you go to? What's your favorite? Wow, I mean, the first album I consider to be The Doors, the greatest album of all time, because it's got everything in the world on it. I consider the first first album and the last album, because I love L.A. Woman. I think that, I mean, the album as a whole, not even the song, like uh, the Changeling, the first song on the album is such a bang and funk jam, you know? And I think that's, you know, where the doors really, really work is when they're just emb- embracing their blues side. That's the part I like, you know? Um, go ahead. I'm going to say, I, I like um, the first one too. I mean, it's so diverse on it when mm-hmm. you, you look at it, you know, from Break On Through to Crystal Ship and Light My Fire, the hit. I kind of also go towards uh, Waiting for the Sun. I think Waiting for a- the Sun has some excellent jams on it, like home run jams. Um, but the thing about the album is because they get into like this other place where they're actually just making great albums. Waiting for the Sun was more critically acclaimed than most of what they did because they were just making great music, you know? And um, if you got into that album as your first Doors album, you'd have a totally different opinion of the band too, because they're not doing, um, it's not crazy pop. You know what I'm saying? It's more along the lines of like his indulgent law, you know, slow drawn outside, which I like. I mean, that's good Doors. If you were going to talk to me about good Doors, Waiting for the Sun might be maximum strength Doors, no? Waiting for the Sun runs the gamut. It goes from pop, like, hello, I love you, to dark and moody with The Unknown Soldier. Ah, oh, The Unknown Soldier. I saw that live without them, obviously. They had Ian Asbury from The Cult. Oh, Sean and I talk about this a lot. It's amazing, right? Is it not amazing, by the way? I think it's great. I mean, I, I think it's better than anything, that, you know, other than Morrison being in the doors. I thought he was a great, like, replacement in the early 2000s. He Absolutely. was awesome. I went to see them at the Jones Beach Theater. Do you guys remember the comic Jess Wood, Jessica Wood? Yeah. Great, very cool girl. She had, we were like doing, this is back in, I don't mean to pistol whip you guys with my prosperity, uh, but back when I was barking to get on stage at the Ha Comedy Club, uh, Jessica had tickets to go see them live at Jones Beach. And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, yeah, like absolutely. And we were there uh, and it was like so good. Like I thought it was going to be absurd. You know what I mean? But it was amazing. And they did deep cuts. Like he did Unknown Soldier. He did on, uh, you know, the song, it's in the movie, Love Street. You know, she oh, yeah, lives yeah. on Love Street. You know that one? They did yeah. Love Street. Do you I know mean, Love Street, Sean? Yeah. I do. And this is actually a refreshing conversation because let me tell you, you're the only adults that I know who talk about The Doors because I always associate The Doors with like the band when you're in like junior and senior year of high school. <laughs> And everybody just loves the doors because they have to love the doors. And then you don't <laughs> hear about them for 30 fucking years. They're, after trying, to be, they're trying to be deep. 
Yeah, yeah, they're always carrying around the Jim Morrison oh, book. Remember, and wearing the you, you had that book. You had, had the book in your yeah. back. Yeah, and it was always funny. like curled over because you pretended you were reading it over and over and over. <laughs> what was the book called again, Sean? Uh, what was that Morrison <clears throat> book called? American Prayer? Maybe that was it. I remember, I remember it was a picture of him. It was just every, every, every rocket kid had that book. Yep. Right. Well, they, they, had the, they had the patch on their back, the doors. The doors. And, That's then they, and then they went home and listened to Poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be nothing but a good time if they do. Guilty. Uh, hey. Now, now let's get into McNeely's band for a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. McNeely, man. All right. Like, m- musically, I'm obsessed with Queen and Billy Joel. But the band I'm going to pick to talk about is fucking Motley Crue just because I'm, I'm obsessed with them. Oh, yeah. Did like, you read The Dirt? Every Yeah, I have The Dirt. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Tommy Lee. Fuck the fact chick just to drive a Jaguar. I'm like, like <laughs> this band is a, like, like musically, like, like Vince's not the greatest singer, but he has like panache and they needed that shit to, mm-hmm. to, to get them out of the, the dirt, the dirtbag clubs. Did you see panache? And, yeah, yeah. He did. Panache. Yeah. And, and, and like, like Nicky's a shitty bass player, but he like wrote some, wrote some songs that became hits and he ran the yeah. band nice. Wait, some I songs mean, that I, became hits? Well, I'm saying like, you know, he wrote like, a ton of songs well, that I'm, became I'm hits. Saying, but then, Molly Crew's not, not like one of those bands like The Doors or Queen or Zeppelin and shit like that. But then like, you know, the, other, you know, the strengths are obviously Mick and Tommy musically. Uh-huh. But the, all four of those fucking psychos together, like, goddamn, like they were so fun to follow. I've watched hey. the, the Behind the Music probably 153 times. That's I wish funny. you would have told. I wish you would have told me last year that you were a big Motley Crue fan, because Jimmy, I don't know if you're aware of this, but huh? me and Terry did a little run of shows last year, <laughs> going down to Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and I had to make a special Virginia. playlist on my phone because I was taking my car and I was doing most of the driving because he's a fucking maniac behind the wheel, um, <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to put any music past 1983. <laughs> because Sean. Thinks I'm all I'm all I'm obsessed with is Bob Seger. Oh, that's which I no, no, no. Uh, Carpenters too. The Carpenters, a little Barry Manilow. Yeah, that's all good that's music. All I can listen to that. I Do like you- the one-hit wonders from the '70s. You know, Dan England and uh, oh, I'm not talking about moving. Yeah, I really want to see ever. tonight. He likes yeah. yacht rock. He likes yeah, Yacht Rock. I do. I'm a Yacht Rock freak. Yeah, because so you look Billy like somebody Dan, who should be on the fucking lacrosse team. Oh, no. Then why did Toto's you... Oh, amazing. <laughs> why did you pick Motley Crue then? I just wanted to talk about them because they're fun, man. The, 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 I, they're a good like, band. They're the people you want to live that lifestyle, but how the fuck are all four of them still alive? It's impressive. Seriously. Yeah, it really um, is. Like, <laughs> that, like, like that's... When you, when you start going on the, to- on, on the road doing comedy, you, you want... You see the behind the music and you're like, that's the way I want to live. And then the reality is, you know, yeah. they put you up in a red roof and nobody picks you up. The reality and, is, and, is the, and, and, is the, and the doesn't work, so, so you have to walk three miles through the dark and almost get jumped in Utica. Um, has anyone seen uh, how fat Vince Neil is now? Yeah. It's so oh. great how, oh. how fat he is that he yes. has to hire background singers I, I who love, can actually sing in his key because he can't sing at yeah. all. I love that they call him Vince Meal. <laughs> I think that's really funny. <laughs> Vince Meal. <laughs> you know, back in the day, man, was he was the man. Mickey Six yeah. yep. from like the whole time, the whole like the, from '87 the, on. Just the best thing about Mickey Six is he's like 20 years older than them. He was like, I think, 10 years older than them, but he was much older. Well, than Mick, Mick's the oldest. Oh, no, no, uh, Mick, Mick Mars. That's what I meant. Mick Mars. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mickey Six. No, Mick Mars. Yeah, he Mickey was the one that was much older, show. right? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Mick was like seven failed bands before that. Yeah. So when they were all like at auditions, he's like, yeah, that's cute, kid. And he's <laughs> acting like this haggard old fucking metal dude. 
<laughs> but meanwhile, <laughs> he's really the the true guts of that song of that oh, band. Oh yeah. Oh, his guitar. He, he's the he's yeah he's the he's the virtuoso of fucking. He, he does Cohen not get as much credit as he deserves on yeah. the <laughs> list of great guitar players. And now yeah, he's, he can't even move his arms, and he still fucking wails out solos. It's insanity. Still banging away. Uh, I have a good Pamela Anderson story. Go for uh, it. If we could. She hosted uh, Gotham Comedy Live. Remember that TV show? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would write, like, for those celebrities, I would write their act, like, 10 minutes, you know, and they could go on stage and, you know, make it look like they did comedy. And she was a fucking pain in the ass. Um, She was trying to rebrand herself at the time as Pam 2.0. And she wanted everyone to know how What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? They, her and whoever her agent were at the time, just, it was a new Pam. She didn't, the rules were she wasn't going to talk about Baywatch. She wasn't going to talk about the Tommy Lee sex tape. She wouldn't talk about the movie Borat. She wouldn't talk about the band. Nothing. I'm like, oh, great. Because there's so many other Pamela Anderson things people want to hear about, you know? But anyway, it was a, she made me. About her cure for cancer? Yeah, I know. She made me for real. I wrote her 10 minutes. Like, I wrote her an hour and 10 minutes in a week, basically. Like, I rewrote the act like seven times. Um, and she was such a pain in the ass. But anyway, Miss, Miss Genius, when she got on stage at Gotham, uh, when she was reading the teleprompter, she also read the stage direction. And everyone in the audience thought I had done that on purpose and it was the funniest thing in the world, but it was just her. So she's like, hello, welcome to Gotham Comedy Club. Please hold for applause. <laughs> My name is Pamela Anderson. Pam, please step to the left. You're not in the shot. And she was reading the stage direction in parentheses. Did they air it? She'd be in the middle of the, yeah, they added it. It was live. So it was the greatest fucking thing in the world. The Post did an article about it. They wrote an article that like Pamela Anderson's a stand-up comic and she killed. And believe me, what I had put her on stage with was garbage uh, because I had rewritten it that many times, but she crushed because people thought we did like this brilliant thing that you never could have invented in a million years. I never would have thought of that. Pam. And she still talks to Tommy. They were on the phone the whole time because they were talking about the kids. How about that? This is like 2017, 2016. How about that? Love is not dead. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. Damn. Hey, did you guys see the Dirt the movie? Yes. What did you think about that? I mean, I'm a little partial towards the book. Yeah, uh, the book, I to me, like the book with stuff like that is always better because when it's depraved in your head, you can't ever depict it that way on TV. Oh, Jimmy, are you that guy? Yeah. I mean, I, like I don't read book. a lot like of books. Book. I like the book better, man. Well, like only because like, that's like the one fucking book I read. Fuck you. Oh, man. Oh, dude, dude. Oh, I, I know. It's, I know you saw the movie, but I, but I do like the book better. Dude, you are you really going to listen to this accent <laughs> and equate me with being a book guy? Really? Yeah, I think you're a very smart guy. Yeah, like, I think you, like, have, you have great opinions. I think you're you're a very intelligent guy. So I think you read a lot. That uh, is one of you. five books I have. I know. That's <laughs> what I was gonna say. I have the first. You guys book. are Long Island mooks. Yes. I have an Al Pacino biography. And, of course you do. Uh, a, 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 show, a, a book about Johnny Marr and Marcy. A James Dean thing and the dirt. End of fucking books. I'm a Marcy freak, Terry. I knew we were friends for some reason. I also uh, love I was Smith maniac. Same here. Same. I would you like me. the Smiths? Yeah. Yes, yes. Do you have any Morrissey solo albums like Vox Hall and I? Or I have them all. Like Viva I have them yeah, all. Yeah, Viva Hate. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Which black eyeliner do you, uh, do you guys prefer? Which what, what one? Which black eyeliner do you guys prefer? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I couldn't hear you. Let me turn down the cure. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> you, know, you. You guys are hurting me. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling injured because of this. Let, let's move on. I can't, I can't take it. You're, I can, I can see you at like, at like a golf club, Jeff, <laughs> because like you'll be like the guy who has like the skin tight black shirt, but like the, the pants that have the super oversized belt with like the chain collar around him. Everybody's <laughs> pointing at him like, wow, he just went to hot topic. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, and he has the Fascination Street T-shirt. Yeah. Oh, I love Fascination. Well, there was a club out of Long Island, but down by Joe's uh, Malibu? Malibu. Well, Mal- Malibu, spy Malibu. Uncle, Malibu Spy, Uncle Sam's World, the 80s clubs. That but I started going there in the 90s. We went to an 80s club. But there was Ooh. also the same 80s activities going on. Was in it there. polyesters? There was a polyesters in Levittown down the block from where Uncle Sam's and Spit were. Yeah. Uncle Sam's was like right almost by governors. Yeah, right there. I grew yeah. up over there. Uh, Uncle yeah. Sam's. And it, on Sunday nights, it was called Spit. Spit, yeah. All the people that bartended there and Uncle Sam's and Malibu and uh, Sp- Spy, uh-huh. the other one, they all went over to Lux in the 90s. And then I oh, went nice. there and I was like, cool, there's no guidos and bullshit. It was just freaky goth chicks and drugs and alcohol. And everybody just like, you know, waiting for just like heaven to come on. Well, why can't I be you? Oh. <laughs> that because Jimmy, that was deep, man. That was deep. Mar- why why can't I be you? Should be my fucking theme song because the, <laughs> because literally the first I was telling Sean this last night. The first year I started headlining the comedy the, the comedy uh, zone. I go down to Liberty Laughs, Fredericksburg. Terry McNeely headlining the first time, and it says Terry McNeely, and it's a picture of fucking Jimmy. <laughs> I still have it in my house. It's like a poster. It says Terry McNeely headlines Liberty Laughs the first time, and it's Jimmy going like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god! And my buddy goes, "Yo, who's that?" I go, "I actually know him, but it's not me." You know, yeah, yeah. Now me. I know why. Every once in a while, I get an email that says I suck. Now I know why. <laughs> we, we, both, we both used to have shorter hair. We're both, we're both going with the oldest guy in the boy band look, you know? I'm Jimmy Fatone. Like, <laughs> the only time I worked with you was at City Steam. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Uh, is, is City Steam surviving the corona? That was always a great hang, they, man. They, they re- they're is, rebooking uh, through uh, Helium now. Helium, Helium owns it. Oh, okay. Because it was always, you know, there was that a good little menu and, uh, you know, you couldn't get the steak because somebody yes. all the goddamn steak in like the 90s. Yeah, yeah it's set in the green room. Comics yeah. can order anything but the steak. Only but time in such- my life I ever got flashed on stage was at City Steam. Really? <laughs> the, the early Saturday show. What was his show, name? <laughs> the early Saturday show. Yeah, bachelorette right. party comes in and which is normally a late show at yeah. that place. She comes stumbling in, can't get her coat off. And they're like, it's her bachelorette party. I'm like, you're never going to get married if you don't take your clothes off that fucking fast because she couldn't get her jacket off. It was one of those big (laughs) oversized parkas. And Uh she ripped it off. She goes, is this fast enough? And she pulled up her shirt. And it was the most perfect set of tits I ever saw in my entire life. And I I don't get thrown off very easily on Uh stage. I was done. (laughs) <laughs> I was done. I, I was. I think I was middling, and I was only about five minutes into the, into the spot, and I was just. I was like, "So what do you guys do? So what do you guys do?" I couldn't concentrate on anything. <laughs> she was you. so sloppy. I mean, just ridiculously hanging off the fucking side. So I signed the green room, which is like purple and orange, and I just said, "The first time in my life I've ever gotten flesh. Thank you, City Steam." And everybody sends me a picture where they go there. 
That's funny. That's uh, City Steam always had like uh, from the first show to the late show on Saturday, such a precipitous drop in the quality of people going in there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. The early show is like productive members of society, like cops and doctors See, and teachers. I always love the late people. show there. Yeah. The late and then show the, Saturday was my favorite show there. Yeah. The, the, the late show were people who couldn't get through the vetting process for tickets to the Wendy Williams show. But they're like, <laughs> sorry, you guys are oh, too sketchy. Wendy Williams. I know. Oof. Fun audience, though. Isn't that like, pretty much every club, the, the, the second show on Saturday night? But no, you're right, Jeffrey. But the but city steams drop off was so funny. It's like it, you know in the city the difference between like a CVS and a Rite Aid. You know, it's like <laughs> in the city all the time. yes, CVS they have you know you have like your CVS card and all that. But at Rite Aid you can pay for stuff with like pelts and spices. Like it's just <laughs> chickens running around in the aisles. It's funny in the Midwest is exactly the opposite. Really, the eight o'clock is just people with their arms folded just uninvolved fucking drips. They don't want anything to do with it. And if, you, if you're, you're going to tape your set, you tape the 10 o'clock or the 930, whatever it is. Because all, all of a sudden, then it's sold out. Everyone's like, ah! they're running down the aisles, high-fiving you. And the uh, yeah, it's exactly the opposite. Because I've been at like Bananas and, and City Steam and Joker's Wild where the, you're like, there's 12 drunks going, hey, you fucking suck, asshole. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the late show. And exactly the opposite. As soon as you get west of Pittsburgh, the, if you want to tape a set, late show. That's Use funny. The, first is a warm up, and then tell your friend to break the camera out <laughs> because it, the late shows are fucking amazing, and the early oh, shows man. are. See, Who Jeff, knew? places like Hartford and Ohio are places that comics perform at. Thank you, Sean. I, I didn't know okay. that. Oh, you sure. guys. Um, Jeffrey fucking killed last time I worked with him. Fucking, thank you. Buddy. Talking He's about boy. where are you right now, Terry? I am in Charlestown. Two words. West Virginia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good living, man. Nobody likes a show off, dude. I mean, it's like, you know. Wait, he, you, you think that's bragging? I'm kidding, Jeffrey. <laughs> Jeffrey, okay. keep up with sure, the tell me that. That's I just want to be on stage. I want to get off my couch. <laughs> and they won't let me be a make-believe cop right now. Do they, <laughs> do they uh, socially distance at those shows right now? Um, Pennsylvania, when we stopped at the gas stations and shit, People still, you know, everyone had a mask. They walked in Wawa and shit like that. But mm -hmm. once we got to West Virginia, I pulled up to the sheets. Nobody had a mask. And I'm like, oh, I'm home. <laughs> I fucking can't stand this. Are your shows indoors, Terry? Yeah, they have a great patio here. So I was convinced they were going to be outside. But they're going to do it right downstairs. We did it a couple of years ago here. Oh, that's rad. Oh, so yeah. You're doing an indoor show? Yeah, the condo's upstairs from the brewery. So it's like, oh, cool. You mean this? I can literally just pour a drink and walk down, stumble down there and be like, right, right, right. which is you it, will. Is yeah. it full capacity? What? Is it full capacity that this? Well, they, they try to do every other seat bullshit, but it's a small room anyway. It's going to be like, you know, uh -huh. 40 people, 30. But, uh, All right. In a little it's room. Good action, though, man. Uh, I just want to, you know, I, I just, I watched Ozark and, and Sopranos and, fucking Game of Thrones 53 times since March 15th, so I just want to get that. I just started binge-watching The West Wing because I used to watch it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I put it on the first season. I'm like, wow, this is really good. And like, you know, the Netflix goes right to the next episode right away. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, episode 13, I'm like, wow, this is great. First season's almost over. And then That's it goes to 14, you. and I go, what the hell is happening? And then I go yeah. back, and I realize that every season has 22 fucking episodes. Oh, my God. 
And I'm, I'm, convi- I'm, I'm committed now. It goes right on. That's how they get you. I'm committed. So I can, and now I'm going to waste the next two weeks of my life watching this shit show. Yeah, you don't have to. Do you understand? Like, it's, it's weird. No, see, this is where you don't know me. I am complete OCD, and I have to watch the whole series now. And Sean <laughs> sleeps like two hours a night. So yeah. He's, Are you one of those? That's yeah, funny. Sean does yeah, sleep. three, three four, four hours on a good night is like 12 to a normal person. Are yeah, you doing stay. Adderall? Like, no. <laughs> I wish I was doing it. No, nothing. They, they, Always they, like they say Trump never sleeps, and Martin's like, he's a pussy. <laughs> like an hour and a half a night. I could text him any time in the night. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'll text him at 4 30 because you'll see when he gets up. 4 33, he returns it. I'm like, what a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just mention now that, you know, we've talked about a little bit of politics. One of the greatest moments of my comedy career involved oh. McNeely. I think yes. you may know what I'm talking about. So last year, we, like I said, we did a couple shows together and we're in a bar in South Carolina, right? Uh-huh. Now, we were, this is the beautiful thing about when I work with Terry is that we could both close a show and there's never, yeah, we an, ego. Every night. There's uh-huh. never an ego where it's like, I have to close the show. Like, he'll, I'll be like, <clears throat> you go on first. Tomorrow, I'll go on first. It's great. So yeah, one, I time we did up, one time we did upstate and he, and Sean goes, it was at a distillery and he goes, the comics drink free. He goes, so you fucking close because I want to get my time <laughs> over with and then I want to sit there and get shitty and watch you. <laughs> Which I did. I, I really admire him for that. It's fucking great. That's funny. So there's, there's this really just annoying blonde. The whole show is just won't shut up. Mm-hmm. Just won't shut up. And I'm a little more diplomatic than Terry is. So I put her in her place. So I do my 45, Terry goes up, he's starting, and he is going at her, and she is being fucking relentless. Now he's calling her a cunt, and oh. he's going, he is berating her. He goes, you know what? I don't even know what your fucking name is. What is it? And she goes, Hillary. <laughs> he goes, I fucking get it. And he starts screaming like a man. I, I had to walk outside. I was, I was, I was laughing to the point. Why well, almost shit my pants? <laughs> Fucking Hillary. Fucking Hillary. Aw. Yo, I uh, was coming back from a gig in Chicago. The you remember how Epstein was found dead in his cell on a Saturday morning? Right. No, on what that happened? Friday night. Uh, I the plane I was flying back to New York on the plane that came in from New York. The Clintons were on it, and I met them at the Chicago airport. And it was like they were flying commercial, which is so not who they are. But that's so weird that like I was literally talking to them while their people were probably killing Epstein. Yes, so <laughs> like, yes, they wanted witnesses. Like, oh, yeah. Jimmy Failure saw us. <laughs> so did, did you hear that? Did you hear that Maxwell now is sitting in a Brooklyn prison wearing paper clothes? Yeah. How and funny. having somebody in her, in her cell 24 hours a day. I know. They, they said she has the highest security ever. They probably mean Cheech and Chong. <laughs> They're high. <laughs> it's not even like it's not even like locks and guns. It's actually high people. Like she's gonna die. Yo, I had Jeffrey Epstein on my uh, not Jeffrey Epstein, Alan Dershowitz on my show yesterday, and he was Epstein's attorney who negotiated the plea deal in Florida. He was accused by that girl. He's if you watch the Epstein Netflix documentary, he's in every one of them because he was Epstein's attorney, and you know he claims he didn't do anything, but the people that they were doing that were hanging out with them are the top, like the British Royals, the Mossad ex presidents. Like she's probably going to die. No, like oh. probably Corona. Like her first prison meal was probably a bat. They gave her a bat. 
<laughs> from the wet market. Like they're gonna try to kill her, and it's it's not right. It's not right. Will she, will she drop names for a lighter plea? Uh she would. Yeah, if she, like if yeah. she can. This is the thing. Like if she has. She was once charged with perjury, which makes her a bad witness because she's already been established as a liar by the court. Yeah. But if she really has videos, like she says, then it doesn't matter, you know. And they the claim are she's gonna sing like a canary. Yeah, listen, if you're looking for a job right now, starting people's cars, this is a good week to apply because <laughs> there's a lot of people. You know, in the tail end of casino where people just start dying. Like right, this right. is the House of the Rising Sun portion <laughs> of this movie, Casino. And people are going to be going down, dude. This is why I'm saying this is definitely the last year on Earth. 2020 is definitely the last year. This is the end of the days. <laughs> There's too much going on. There's too much going on all at one time that is not telling me that the end of days are not coming. This is the end of the Bible? Yeah. Uh, I, We're I'm only halfway through. We're yeah. only halfway through 2020. There's yeah, still a whole back end to go. Through, we're six months through, and it's been the longest five years of my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> the way it works, though, you know how Terry was talking about The Sopranos? This is the Blue Comet episode. It's the second to last episode. <laughs> yeah. where everything oh, that's so crazy Terry, and no, out don't, of control. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. I've been watching The Sopranos. I'm down to the last two episodes. Stop You've it, never are you? seen The Sopranos yes. before? I'm down right. to the last two episodes. Don't tell me. Well, anyway, so you didn't see when Bobby Bacala died on the train. Up! He's kidding. <laughs> He's kidding. Just watch, watch the Blue Comet, which is the second to last, and know that that's what we're living in. That's the next one that I have to watch. Everything's crazy and psychotic. Yeah. And then there'll be this stuff. one more episode where it's like none of it ever happened. Well, like, that's where Silvio died too, right, Jimmy? <laughs> He's being silly. We're just burning off. It's like we're throwing a fit. Like society's throwing a fit right now. We'll burn it off in like another month or two and it'll, you know, because here's the thing, man. Is that, what, is that the episode when they ran over Phil's head at the gas station? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> Jeffrey, I'm not dignifying any of this, although I could because I have strong opinions on this. I, I, I don't know why I hang out with these fucking guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's no scraps in my scrapbook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Phil Leotardo. <laughs> He, <laughs> he, he, it's a pleasure to be here with men and not in fucking fact. You know, Phil Leotardo has such a great, great scene in The Sopranos. Do you remember when Tony has to go to his house to apologize? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He brings them the, the, the drills as a, yeah. as a piece of making. But, but he and won't come out and, and talk he, to him. No, he's, call, he's, he's talking from the top. Yeah. Yeah, go it, back to Jersey, you piece of shit. Yeah. You get that, that piece of shit off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's there with silly, stupid little car lines. Silly my ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great scene. Oh, it's amazing. Do you know Gandolfini used to be a bouncer at Private Eyes, the strip club by Port Authority? No. no. Yeah. When we were uh, seniors in high school with no ID, we tried to get in, and he wouldn't let us in. But he's like... Uh, Go to Bear Elegance. He's like, they, they'll, they, you know, they'd let a 10-year-old in. They don't care. He's like, uh, and we did. We went to Bear Elegance. But we were trying to get in onto the premise that our friend, uh, Eric, was going away to the Marines tomorrow. So that's how we were getting away with it. We're like, we're not 21, but he's leaving to join the service. Could we party a little bit? And uh, other places let us in, but Gandolfini did not. And when he did, um, 
what is it? Not the actor studio, that other dumb hour long interview thing. He talked about being a bouncer there. That's pretty funny. He worked for all of those clubs because one guy owns like Legs Diamond, Flash Dancers, Private Eyes and all of that at the time. So he technically, I think, worked at a few of them. But we met him at Private Eyes. Pretty crazy. What do you Dan think? Delfini. What do you think? Greatest, the greatest drama of all time? So yeah. one of the best cooking shows. Uh, they really spend a lot of time on gravy in like the back yeah. three seasons, a little too much time on uh, Meadows college admissions and stuff like that. Like I love the show, but it was a very frustrating last couple of seasons because they mm -hmm. played up the drama. Like the first two are like, it's a mob show. People are yeah. getting killed. Deals are getting made, uh, but it's great. I, I don't know what to compare it to. Um, I, would I, always, say, I always go with that or Breaking Bad. This is the thing with Breaking Bad for me. I watched it binge and those episodes, they don't have like the same weight when you know he's going to live. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If you know there's 77 more episodes, it's really not that scary to see a gun get put to somebody's head that you know is, you know, on Conan that night doing an interview to preview the next season or whatever the hell it is. But, and I thought Breaking Bad is, it was great, but it's a little hokey. Like, you know, like the antimatter and stuff like that. I think there's a, the realism in The Sopranos, I think, puts it over the top. You know what the right. thing with Breaking Bad? It was with me. Everybody goes, you gotta see, you have to. You're crazy. How could you? And I go, I'm, now I'm fucking not watching it on purpose. <laughs> Thank to you. To fucking aggravate you. Well, now that, I realize I why I like never watch it on again. principle of people bullying me into fucking watching it. It's, listen, it's good, but you're right. Breaking Bad was the beginning of this thing where content became your brand. It was like cool to say you did certain things like it looked good on your own brand because that's what happened to politics too. like people vote based on what they think looks good for their brand with like their circle of like minded dipshits. And um, yeah. yeah, Breaking Bad was the beginning of that. I remember when that was a thing and it was like, yeah, you got to watch it, Terry. Oh, people are just they, they go tell it. Like you watch Sons of Anarchy? No. This what kind of a fucking <laughs> asshole doesn't watch Sons of Anarchy? Like now I'm never gonna watch it because you're so fucking passionate about it. Um, I cried like a baby when Opie died in Sons of Anarchy. There's a song that they played by Greg Holden. Mm -hmm. It's called like uh, I forgot what the name of it, but like they're putting him in the cask in, in the casket and they're putting him into the back of the hearse. Mm -hmm. And here I am, I'm six three, about three fifty five at the time, bawling like a fucking woman watching her fucking wedding video after her husband died. And I was fucking <laughs> sobbing, like literally. And like I'm, I'm getting looks like, what are you are you fucking out of your mind? It's a TV show. I'm like, but it's fucking Opie. And I'm, I'm sobbing. That's, that's how I was with, with, uh, with Ralphie Cifaretto, my favorite character ever. Uh, well, he, oh, he died in the right when Ralph died. About it. Yo. What do, you, what do you catch some shrapnel? He's the most you, obnoxious fucking character ever. I oh, I hated him. Oh, oh he was Joey great. Pants? Joey Pants Yo. killed that shit. He was one, a, he was a one, hateable the, character. Great actor. That's why I loved him. I'll give yeah. you a great, great Joey Pants story. Uh, very quickly, Bobby Fernaro, who was like a, a stage manager at Caroline, he used to be like a showroom manager and a waiter. He was a guest on this show. Yes, he was. He hung himself in the first episode of like season five, if you remember. Yeah, Gene. Yes, you, you him and his wife are looking at houses they're going to move to, and then right, the right. feds pop him, and he's yeah, going to cooperate. Gene popped the Yes. So anyway, Bobby Fernaro had told us at an Andy Engelbringer show that. <laughs> Ralph Cifaretto was the guy who died that year on The Sopranos. Like, you know, somebody would always get whacked like Jackie Jr. in like the last episode. So he had told us he was going to get whacked on The Sopranos. So anyway, 
was down at the Taj Mahal in my 20s. You guys don't know this, but I used to have like a spectacular gambling habit, not a problem, a habit where I had credit at multiple casinos so I could go get a marker at like the Taj Mahal for like 20 grand that I didn't have. And if I lost it, I could get the same 20 from Caesars to pay it back. And that would buy me a month to come up with the real money. And I did that a lot in my 20s. It was like a bad dude with gambling. Well, anyway, one time I was at the Taj Mahal on a Sunday and I lost $12,000 that I didn't have. The girl I was dating with at the time, Joanna Hughes, is like, oh, let's go upstairs and watch The Sopranos. It's like the second to last or the season finale. I don't fucking remember what it was. But when you're desperate to come up with money um, and you're thinking of ways to recoup it, it had dawned on me that I knew he was dying on the show. So I called up with a credit card to betonsports.com and bet $2,000 on him to be the guy who gets whacked. It was only three to one odds. He was the favorite to get whacked. And I won that night $15,000 and then gave it all back the next morning. <laughs> For real, all of it. Terrible story. But I did win it based on Bobby telling me that and me placing the bet. I left there with no money, Fucking but I great. did actually yeah. win the bet. Crazy. Bobby, Bobby saved your kneecaps. He basically did. And I left there. <laughs> I left there with no money, but I could have left there with a little more than I owed, but I blew it all. But it was fucking amazing. And he, if you remember the death scene with the fucking, you know, he takes off the toupee at the end. Yeah. After yeah. Tony chokes him out. He was the, he was such a great trolley douchebag character. No. <laughs> oh yeah. It was amazing. It was a fucking horse. You eat beef and sausage by the truckload. <laughs> the greatest scene ever. <laughs> Pie oh my. Yeah. Oh, wait, the horse, did, the painting. Why did all these... Who did these, it? You cooked that fucking horse. <laughs> why did all these side characters like Richie April, Ralph, why did they all hook up with Tony's sister? She's a Bhutan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm just laughing along, but it sounded like a good pun. <laughs> with the vowel at the end of your name and you don't know what a Bhutan is. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just playing okay. along now. I got to, you know... I, I got to get by media relations after this. <laughs> Good ball. Um, uh, that, that show, uh, in his sister specifically, because you know that she's, the cra she's a crazy good time girl. She was probably a great time. I mean, Bobby back a lot loved her, right? That was his home. Isn't that what he yeah, called? Yeah, until he died in the second to last episode of the series. <laughs> oh, don't listen to him, Jeffrey. He's alive oh, and I well. Oh, he dies at, at this point. This, this piece of shit is going to fucking ruin the whole thing for me now. It doesn't ruin it on any level because it's the best death scene. It's so good. <laughs> it's fucking great. Hey, she, was, stupid, she, was, she was a stupid conductor's hat. She was a carefree hippie, which is why she blew roadies. That's one of yes. my favorite things ever. Oh, uh, the when, best. When, when, yeah, when they're, at, when they're upstate of the thing. And she's yeah. like, he's like, you blew roadies under the boardwalk. And, and, and Bobby's like, roadies? <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's the hottest guma that Tony hooked up with? Oh, wow. That'd be um, a tie between uh, the Cuban and Gloria. Annabella Sciorra. Annabella was, Sciorra and, and the, Cuban, the Cuban one that Ralphie was originally fucking that made him step Valentina? in. Valentina? Valentina. Wow. Have, what about the chick from Vegas? Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about her. Yeah. She's beautiful. That's not really a Guma. She was like Chris's Guma. But we're gonna throw. We're gonna throw her, in. He just tapped her for a weekend. We're gonna. We're gonna throw into that conversation as well, though. <laughs> he dies in the second. Uh, second to last episode. Yeah, it's a shame. She dies too. All <laughs> of the Gumards die in the second <laughs> to last. All they, of them. They all, they all come they to visit him. Just, yeah. <laughs> old school. 
Right, they all come to visit. And they go into, they get into a Cadillac and get, it blows up like in the end of this casino, right? It's, it's very yeah. unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. And, and, and Irene is going, you're not the boss of me, Tony. <laughs> Irina, what an annoying bitch. I can't believe she lasts like four seasons. Yeah, well, she had a nice little run on the show. She did. All right. Um, yeah. Sean, anything you'd like to say here? Wrap this uh, up. This was incredible. I enjoyed the show very much. Uh, I am. It's a pleasure to meet Jimmy for the first time. Oh, I am looking buddy. forward in a few months to getting in my car and having a reek of parliaments and broken dreams when I go back on the road with Terry. <laughs> and uh, I still hate Jeff. So, <laughs> Terry. Oh, there it is. <laughs> the gas. <laughs> you guys. This was uh it was an honor to come on Who's Your Band and not talk music for 59 minutes and 33 seconds. This has been the new trend, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, just, we, we, we've, every other episode, maybe we talk music. We haven't been talking about a lot of music, have well, we, Sean? Next week, we have Matt Penfield from MTV coming yeah, 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 you on. Have so to I don't, music. Yeah, no, it'll, be, it'll be an hour of music. So no, you don't. You don't have to. You can talk to him about Sopranos, Gumads. He's a pop culture guy. <laughs> I, I hope yeah, he's, yeah, I hope he's up to date with Jeff. Uh, who's your band? The Doors, Motley Crue. Which book is a douchebag? <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be the other name of the show, Terry. <laughs> We're going to call it Which Book is a Douchebag. That was that was the alternative name of this. We wound up going with Who's Your Band. I think it's solid. I think I, I think it's solid. This is a great hang, you guys. Come on, man. Uh, if I was going to end my career, this was the way to do it. I mean, <laughs> an hour this of insulting women, and it's great. I'm kidding. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, um, guys, thanks, man. Really, thank you so much for your time, man. We really do oh, appreciate it. Dude, anytime, man. This was a great, this is, this is great to be uh, finally performing alongside Terry instead of just impersonating him on a billboard. This was a big step <laughs> up in class for me, Terry. Terry, that is really funny, by the way. Oh, it happened like three times. I'd walk in, i go, again? First of all, I, I'm pinned between Dustin Diamond and Jimmy J.J. Walker. And then it's my name and your fucking picture. So you're on, you're on endless posters with those two guys somewhere. In, in some closet in Fredericksburg. Oh, my ship has sailed in. I'm huge on the Cracker Barrel circuit. And I love Cracker Barrel, so I'm not complaining. Uh, I am very pro Cracker Barrel. Ever. Yeah, crack yeah, now it was cool to hang out and bullshit with all you guys because nobody, none of us have seen each other in months. Yeah. That's what, that's what, this is so cool. Yeah, this, this was a good reminder of what we're not missing out on, right? I'm kidding. <laughs> I love you all. Uh, when do no, we I missed the ball busting. I no, it is. I mean it. That, I was talking about that at the top. Oh. Uh, we came from a better era. Long Island comedy is better than Manhattan comedy for that reason, too, because everyone's dicks like this to each other, which is funny. That's what comedy is, you know? The shit now is actually pretty sad. Everybody's so supportive and nice and it's terrible. And we're going to get like a little bit of a re-entry burn when the clubs reopen. But within six months, like I guarantee you, uh, it's going to be, there's going to be less cancel culture than more because I people are kind of exhausted right, by it. I hope you're right. No, it's true because like they've had the microphone in this country now for the whole lockdown and people are fucking sick of them. And it'll take a minute, but once clubs reopen, reopen, and there's 200 people in them, uh, the people acting out are going to get shamed. Like, for real. Good. Like, I, there's, there's an appetite for that coming. So, when, when just the stay the course, come? you guys. We're going to be fine. When does the pushback actually come? It'll take um, something. Like, you know the way we started these riots because of some online evidence of wrongdoing? 
it's going to take a little more of that. Like in a club, in a forum where being an asshole, like a comedy club, it's going to come when comedy clubs open. Yeah, it doesn't gonna, come with like it'll come after the election when uh, yeah. you know coronavirus suddenly ends. That's what on, everybody on, says. On, uh-huh. on, yeah, on, on, on fucking November third, finally, like, the Yo. numbers are up. Everyone's living. Go ahead, uh, live your life. On November third, the cops are going to get a raise. <laughs> <laughs> we love the cops. We were just kidding. And who, it's fucking and crazy. Who winds up winning November third? Ooh, uh, it's, it's going to be closer than you think, but I bet you Trump beats him because what's going to happen is at some point they have to have an election. Like this isn't an election right now. Like normally an election is they're both doing live rallies every day from now until November and they're not doing fucking anything right now, let alone competing face to face. Like if they do have debates, Trump will wind up beating them. Um, but the Democrats are going to try really hard either not to have a debate or to have oh, a yeah. debate over Zoom where it's not the same type of combat, you know? But if they have a debate debate, he's going to beat him. I pray he will beat him. But I have a very sick, they, have a sick gonna, feeling they're gonna that avoid, he's not going to. They're going to avoid doing that debate like, like the plague. Oh, yeah. They don't want to do it. No and fucking you know what way. Trump's going to do? He's going to go mm-hmm. do a rally in like, you know, yeah. Toulouse, Toluca, mm-hmm. whatever. And then they go, he's afraid. He's afraid to debate me. He's yeah. afraid he's hiding in the basement. And yeah. then they're going to have to bring him out of the basement and prop him up like weekend at Joe's. Yep. There and it is. Try to try, <laughs> to try to form six sentences together. Terry, that who's going to wind up being his running mate? <laughs> yeah. Well, that is if yeah, Biden Well, you know me. I'm a huge, I'm a huge yeah. lib. You know me. Uh-huh. Well, Terry. well, you do, Danny. But who, who's going to wind up being uh, Biden's running mate? Uh, Danny's a Democrat. No. Uh, That's who I'd vote for. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's going to be one of the women, either like Kamala Harris or Tammy yeah. Duckworth. It's going to be I, one of the two. I tend to think yep. it's going to be Kamala Harris, but I still have a very strange feeling because you're saying the word presumptive nominee a yeah. little too much. <laughs> I don't know. You don't, don't think so? Don't be, su- don't be surprised if she, if she comes out of the fucking out of the cave again. I would love that. I mean, I love when they would, they was like the New York Times floated the idea she would be his VP. Yeah. And, and then he would become the first president to commit suicide in office. Yeah. Like, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know he was depressed. He seemed like he was in such a good mood. Jimmy, yeah. have you yeah. seen Max the, the latest? Biden just both killed Sorry. themselves. Jimmy, have <laughs> you seen the latest picture of her? Of Hillary? Yeah. Oh, the no. New, the, the new hair, the facelift, the teeth, the oh, clothes. No. It's a, it, she looks completely different. That's what makes me think Sean could be right on this. I'm oh, telling wow. you, I, I am not usually wrong. She looks, I, I have she very looks good 10 guesses. years younger than she did when she, uh, 2016. I'm Stay telling tuned, you, you guys. Do not, uh, or I, I have no question that he would pick her as the vice presidential nominee. And after he's elected, a week later, he will say he is sick and he has to resign the post. Uh, that's totally possible. It's, it's getting very conspiratorial in here, you guys. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> it's getting. You know, it's not a conspiracy, though. I will tell you the honest to God's truth. Bobby Bacala dies in the second <laughs> to last episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> Good night, everybody. On that note. That's the closer, Sean. On that note. <laughs> Great stuff, guys. That is the closer. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Thank you, guys. Uh, see ya. Where can people see you guys? Just quick plug. Quick oh, plug. shoot. Terry. Yeah, Jim. Uh, oh, well, I, I'm I'm in West Virginia tonight, so that's too late. And then I'm uh, <laughs> in Waverly, Waverly, Ohio tomorrow. And I don't know; it doesn't matter. Boom. Go on okay. Facebook, look up Terry McNeely. He posts yeah. his. And uh, you're in Walton, New York, in, in August, correct? Yeah, oh. yeah, I'm in, I, I'm in Walton, New York, at the Castle on the Delaware. 
Oh, August eighth. That's it. the next big room. Looks like the Shining Ballroom. Oh, hey, Jimmy, where can people catch this show? Uh, Fox Across America airs noon to three Monday through Friday. Uh, you can get it on iHeart. Uh, you can get it on foxacrossamerica.com. Uh, the Fox News Radio app. Uh, it's on 40 stations around the country. And if one of you were to listen tomorrow, you would double our ratings. So think about that. We would get <laughs> I, go, I go on Jimmy's Instagram because he sticks his own face into every, oh. every fuck all. I love every picture you put up. You oh, buddy. I have a yeah, graphics like- guy who makes that <laughs> shit. And it's so incredibly debauched. And it's- Jimmy's a ghostbuster. And then Jimmy's over here. But it's, and but it's done well. Drunk. Like yeah, it's no, done it's fucking hilarious. It Last- up on me. I go through and I went, oh my God. Oh, you buddy. Me again, I start laughing. I'm like, what a fucking psycho. Oh, man. We'll put it on your next <laughs> billboard. Good stuff. Anyway, Bye. that's a wrap, guys. Thank, Thank you guys. so much. Thank you, Thanks. gentlemen. Great we'll hang, go. guys. Thanks we'll for having me. Bye, soon. Jeffrey. See ya.